Welcome back to Maya, my friends, my yoga audio. Today, we have a certifiable treat in store for you as we host my first and very special guest, Jill Weston. Jill is certified in yoga nidra, dynamic mindfulness, and breathwork, and she has a genuine affinity for helping people remember their heart's desire. She likes to dispel the myths around mindfulness and meditation, making these helpful practices appealing, inviting, and accessible. Through mindful teaching and self-practice, Jill likes to help create peaceful minds, peaceful bodies, peaceful homes, and peaceful communities. She is the grateful owner of Breathing Space and is known for her healing voice, calm vibe, and love of Yoga Nidra. And in addition to saying thank you for being here today, um, I wanted to explain to everybody how we quote unquote met initially, which was through our mutual friend, uh, Jose, who after he met you, he called me, he texted me, he emailed me to say I had to meet this woman. I absolutely had to meet this woman as soon as possible. And he was right. I've been delighted to get to know you a bit more over the last few years in yoga classes, our community, at public events like this Car concert a couple of years ago. So again, Jill, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Megan. I'm excited for your, your adventure and venture. So happy to be here. Yeah. And I know you're a woman of many, many talents. Um, and you live a full life of service. That's the one thing that I hear about you from our community and what I've seen you do in action. What is it that you most want people to know about who you are, what you do, and why you do what you do? Um, I actually prefer to talk more about what I do than than who I am. Uh, there's a little bit of introvertedness, and I think in my want to be of service to people, it's more about what I do. There are some elements of what I do that come from who I am. And I'll start with our mutual friend, Jose. I was looking for lighting to build out breathing space, and he was so helpful because I, I walked in completely unsure of what to do, didn't know if I could find something within my budget. And we, it happens a lot with people. He and I started talking about his, I can't remember if it was his back or knee. Anyway, there was some discomfort. So I just launched into my helpful self and I come <laughs> back to sometimes I have to, be, I have to be quiet to make sure that people are receiving that helpfulness. Right away, I just started talking about, have you tried meditation? Have you tried this? And what about yoga nidra? And I have these resources for you. And I wasn't, uh, I try very hard not to be overbearing at all. It just seemed that he took all of that in. Mm -hmm. We had some other things in common and he was, he was very, very helpful, very considerate. Even though it was lighting, he was saying, you know, what's the feel of your space and what are you looking for and how do you want that to be? Amazing. So that's a lot of how I am. I was at UPS the other day getting some notary work done and a gentleman was waiting and I slowed down and was quiet and noticed how he was patiently waiting where there were other people coming in the door and turning around and leaving because there was too much going on or too long of a wait. So he and I started talking. He has an older father who is in need of care. They're doing some legal work because of that. And he immediately started talking about his frustration in caregiving. I took care of my dad. As he was talking, I was being still and I was listening. And immediately what I, it just comes up in me, how can I help him? 
So I asked him, was his father a veteran? And the minute he said yes, I pulled up my phone. I was like, you need to call the victim or, or veteran patient advocate. I know her. She can help. Here's what you could do. Here's some other things. And there was a sense of relief I could see on his face. So a lot of my of who I am and what I like to do is to be of service mm. in the yoga world, in a yoga studio, off the mat, which we're going to talk about, being still and seeing opportunities to be of service. I mentioned sometimes I overhelp. So people have their own pathways. They have their own things to figure out. You know, you can't always, you know, a baby falls down. You can't constantly pick them up. But you can also redirect them when they're starting to touch that hot stove. So a lot of what I've loved to do, I did it with horses, and I tended to have the horses that no one else wanted to work with or were difficult. I went to work in corrections for 30 years in juvenile corrections. I would typically end up with the offenders that just that little niche of maybe a little harder to deal with, sometimes the staff members that were having a little more difficult time. I've just always been of service, and at any pivotal time in my life, graduating from high school, graduating from college. I retired and wasn't sure what to do with myself. An opportunity came up to be of service and help my dad, which led into helping many veterans. When my dad died, I literally stood still in my house and said out loud, what am I supposed to do now? And we'll probably get to that later. It was curious about a month before people started asking for more yoga nidra. And I said, hey, I'm pretty busy with my dad. It will come. We'll see. After he passed away, I opened up the physical space, breathing space. So it was born from that. So in summary, I I love to be of service, especially right now with everything going on. I look for ways on a phone call when you ask me to do this. Yes, I'm nervous, but my what came to the forefront was Megan wants me to do this. I can help her, or I, I feel like I can be of help. I want to help her. I said yes, and then ask you for the details afterwards. Oh, this is amazing. It's, and as we've talked about, as we prepared for today, the timing of this and your own podcast that is going to be coming out shortly as well. Yes. Um, I love that we're on the same wavelength and wanting to offer this format for people to still connect in with their breath, with their yoga, with their community. And I started this audio podcast to respond to a need that I saw for returning to a yoga practice that prioritizes the mind rather than what the eyes and the mind see when practicing the physical postures of yoga. And I've been reminded for more than a year since I stopped teaching publicly that yoga or to yoke as we translate from Sanskrit has sometimes become quite lost in the westernized version of yoga that prioritizes the workout or the physical poses and asanas. But as you know, there are the eight limbs of yoga and the physical practice is just one of those limbs. And so as much as I love that, as much as I have a meditation practice and know all those things, your specialty is yoga nidra, which translates as yogic sleep. So tell us a little bit more about how you came to not only discover Yoga Deidre, but why it became the foundation of your studio and your teachings. Sure. There's a longer story, but uh, <laughs> for podcast sake, I'll be shorter in that many, many of my students, and I also offer teacher trainings, and many of the people that I'm around that, that came to Yoga Nidra very often come from health issues. Mm-hmm. My teacher 
was bedridden for quite some time and actually told that he would probably never walk again. That's a very common story, I think, that brings people to yoga nidra and sometimes even into yoga asana or physical practice. For me, it was curious that I'm very analytical, check into everything. I'm checking, do I want to do this? Do I have the finances? Am I able to do this? And I had already practiced for 18 years with the physical practice and never, ever wanted to teach. What does that have to do with anything? I found myself driving to Grass Valley to a yoga ashram, which I would have been comfortable going to, taking an actual certification for yoga nidra. I never, ever practiced yoga nidra before I went to the teacher training. That's not me. Wouldn't have spent the money, wouldn't have taken the time, would have wanted to know, why am I doing this? What is this about? I feel like that was the start of yoga nidra, and I'll go back to that later. Mm -hmm. I took the training and had no idea why I was there Sometimes people, they'll dig a little deeper. They'll say, well, okay, but back up. How did you get there? (laughs) Someone must have told you. Was not on the mailing list, had never taken a course. This was eight years ago, I think. Social media wasn't super big with Mm -hmm. them. I still don't, I literally don't know. I don't know if it was a flyer. I don't know if it was an email. I did not know anyone who told me to go to that training. So you just found out about it somehow and decided to go. I decided to go. And by the end, actually after my first yoga nidra experience, and we'll talk later about what what that is, the peacefulness, the knowing, the work that you're going to be doing and offer or continue to do and offer, that element of being still and finding so much peacefulness, mm. the ability to, I'm going to say, slow down my mind. I hesitate because sometimes people think that meditation or even yoga is forgetting what's going on in your life. In yoga nidra, what I fell in love with is finding that peaceful state and you come out of it with more abilities, more capabilities, more clarification, literally having answers. So went to the training, don't know why, (laughs) absolutely loved it and came out of it and started um, immediately practicing on people. For me, it was a nice blend of my yoga asana, the physical practice and the yoga nidra. I've always had that sense, the sense or I think the love for whatever I'm involved with being in observance. So when we talk about the eight limbs, there's the observance, the the overall mindfulness, that ability to feel and see what's going on with you. So that was the appeal for the Yoga Nidra. Mm -hmm. When I built out, when I opened the studio, it was because I wanted more freedom. I had been renting from people. I had done sessions at different times, and people were hungering for a consistent schedule. And some of the spaces that I was in, I was grateful to be in them. It didn't feel how I wanted to feel. So the physical space of breathing space was built out with what I call cooperation, community. I had a contractor in there that was not referred to me by a friend. Once Taylor came and was checking out the property, though, he started talking about Bikram Yoga. And I remember looking at him and I said, why are you talking about Bikram Yoga? He said, well, Catherine Body must have referred you, right? I said, no, but I know her really well. So when she opened, I was driving up to Lincoln to help her open her space. Come to find out he had built out three of her studios. He had built out the original spa that she moved into. Mm -hmm. He built it into a yoga studio and then built out her second space. Wow. So as we're standing there, 
in the bathroom at Breathing Space before I bought it, paying attention, being still, and saying to myself, this is not a coincidence. Because I wasn't ready to buy. Why was I going to buy a building? I was looking for space to rent. So fast forward to he and his crew were in that space, and they're contractors. Every time I would ask for something or the questions they asked, they would use, many times they would use the name breathing space. So if I said, well, just put in that light switch, but don't you want it to feel peaceful? Don't you want it to feel very inviting? So you didn't have the name yet? I had the name, oh. but when they would ask me questions, uh-huh. that's usually what they would lead with. And I would go to my very analytical matter of fact, well, let's just do this and this and this. And the foreman would say, well, don't you want, and he would motion with his arms. He's like, don't you want to be like Zen? And he's like, no, I don't think that will feel right for people walking in the space. Again, I was still and I listened. That's so again, the cooperation, the community, people mm-hmm. giving me gifts. Originally people said, well, we're going to bring you Buddhas and angels and flowers. And I said, no, I really want... I'm not thinking of the name for it right now. But when people come in, I don't want any distractions. So typically you might go in a yoga studio, and it might either be welcoming for you or because, again, we're using the mind and the eyes, it could be distracting. So you look at a statue, you look at a painting, you look at a word, and you might say to yourself, well, I don't, what does OM mean? I don't, I don't understand why that's there. Or there's a clothing rack and you get distracted with the clothing. None of that is bad, but for my purposes, literally the name is breathing space. When people would come to my classes or I had the physical space, I wanted that to be the start of the of yoga nidra, what we call the pratahara of the sense withdrawal. You don't have to worry about if it's cold or hot or if there's clothes for sale or a list of 10 rules. People walk through the door, and I say this humbly, people walk through the door with their shoulders up, and by the time the door closes, their shoulders are down. They're very, many times their eyelids almost half close, and they'll just say, what do I do? Or they walk in, and there's a little franticness. They've been hurrying for class. They're stressed, and they'll, they're, what, what, what do I have to do? And I'll pause and be still. I'll smile, and I say, sign in, then go lay down. Well, what, what, what? And I'll say, sign in, go lay down. And you see the shoulders drop. So there's so much to yoga and that that peacefulness, that sense withdrawal that I like to teach and also practice myself. Yesterday I went to the bank. I haven't been going inside of stores and places a lot, and I had cash. I walked in, there was a long line, it wasn't the line that made me leave Megan, but I looked at the people's faces and their body language, and I think the line had been long for a while. Mm. A lot of yes. people didn't feel really happy about it, and I chose not to go in the bank. Yeah. So I went home, did some things. I came back. The line was still about as long, maybe two hours later, but people felt differently. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead and stood in line. What all that means is someone's like, why are you talking about a bank, but don't you teach yoga nidra? It's that everyday observance when we can mind our mind. There's all kinds of possibilities. Oh, my goodness. You're speaking (laughs) so many volumes of of truth. And that's, I mean, I'll commonly refer to it as energy. And there is something to that. I mean, some of the most volatile situations I've been in in my life. And we all have been 
we felt that energy before we knew what it was. And sometimes you don't know what to do with it, right? So you stay in it because you're like, well, I got to go to the bank. I got to get this done. But if we can adopt these practices of slowing down, being still, patiently observing, and then making a decision. I don't know what's up here, but something is wrong and I'm going to turn around and come back. That's, Absolutely. that's amazing. Absolutely. That's really helpful to people. Sometimes, there's a, that. sometimes people, myself included, I'll get into the why. Why isn't the line moving mm-hmm. faster? Why can't we figure out, you know, in this instance, COVID? Or why can't we find the answer for breast cancer? Why is my computer not working? And again, I, I don't like to, we sometimes use the word bypassing. So in yoga nidra, mm-hmm. you're not bypassing anything. When I talk about that question of why, I'm not saying forget the why. My experience and what works for me is when you are still, when you are in observance, you're better you're better able to figure out the why. Mm. And for me sometimes what matters more is how am I reacting and am I perhaps being verbally violent is my is my energy not so helpful for people versus the why. Yeah. So my first step really doesn't matter why the computer's not working how am I going to approach it? Because if I go kick the computer, throw it on the ground, and I'll, I'll read a comment from one of the kids <laughs> later because I brought that with me when I was uh, did some work in a classroom. To me, I think beha- change behavior can come from when your mind is clear, mm-hmm. when you're more clear on what you want, and when your body emotionally supports you. Mm-hmm. You'll probably talk later with people about you know fight or flight and, and how our nervous systems affect us and how our bodies can sometimes yeah. even do things we're not aware of. Huge, but yeah. you know, making decisions, being around people, being in community with people, whether or not you agree with them, whether or not they're different, and knowing first why are you not not why, but how how are you reacting? And then you know better why you're reacting that way. This smell reminds me of something, or mm-hmm. every time I come in the bank, there's a long line. And you're remembering what I call the suitcase effect that I've talked about before. We all have stuff in our food our suitcase. Mm, we all baggage. have stuff in a suitcase. Yeah. We have the baggage. We have stuff in our mind. I don't know about 90% of it, but so much of the helpful factors is knows, know what's there. You either leave it in the suitcase, you pull it out, it comes out of your mouth, it comes out of your behavior. Very often I feel like people don't always know what they're doing, and that's also part of the appeal for yoga asana and part of the appeal for meditation and uh, yeah, introspective practices. Oh, I love it. Well, since you brought up the kids, that's a good segue point for a short time here when I first moved to Sacramento six years ago right after I finished grad school I taught art school to middle school age children um, right here in Oak Park and and it was one of the most rewarding and challenging things I have ever ever done I have an incredible amount of respect for teachers but there were a handful of occasions when I asked them to start class with a group meditation and the effects were truly mind-blowing I mean, sometimes the kids would cry. Sometimes they would just start telling me things about their lives. But for the most part, the behavior, like if they were kind of going nuts, it just simmered right down and they would look at one another. They would make eye contact with one another and with me. And then they were open to the art idea. And I have heard that kids as young as the fifth grade have written testimonials and thank yous to you for teaching them 
and that yoga nidra techniques have helped them so much. I believe in the power of these practices to change the world. So what are some of the techniques and things that your students of all ages have shared with you about how your guidance has shaped them? And what do you hope will be your, well, this, I was going to say, what do you hope will be your legacy from this? But I kind of feel like it already is the fact that you have these Thank testimonials you. and you've changed their lives, but I'll, I'll let you answer that. Uh, my hope is for kids and for people, I think especially the hopefulness is with the kids to know themselves. Everything that we've talked about is, and it's, it's reflected. I'm going to read four quick letters or parts of letters. Lovely. It's that understanding of what they're doing. So you hear from kids. I would hear from older juveniles, 18 to 25, and corrections, it just happened. You know, Miss Morgan, I, you know, he took the ball from me. I just, I snatched it back. He was being mean. Or I don't know why I'm sad. Again, managing your mind, understanding yourself, helping kids manage their emotions and put words to that. A lot of time what I, what I will do is, uh, and I can share the link with you later, there's a favorite video I didn't create. There's a favorite video that I start with, and it's a glitter jar. Mm. So it shows how the mind or the brain can be like a glitter jar, and the glitter shaking up, and you feel shaky, and the glitter starts to settle, and your mind starts to settle. Oh. So my hope, again, is is especially for kids with all they have to manage, can they know themselves better? Can they go back to remembering you know, they're solid, they're a whole, they're lovable, no matter what someone tells them, no matter what their grades are. And yes, again, we're not bypassing, there are challenges, mm -hmm. but getting them to a point where they can manage some behavior. So I'll, I'll read a couple of yeah. these. And then if there's time, I can share again, it was very simple techniques that I share with them. So this first one, I'll paraphrase. She's that's a young lady says, thank you for coming. And she said, I use your breathing method to calm whenever I get frustrated by not solving a Rubik's Cube, instead of smashing it on the ground, I put it down and just leave. So that testimonial I love because there were actually two kids in that class. One still use, uses the Rubik's Cube. His letter was that he on purpose goes to his room and uses the Rubik's Cube. This young lady talked about not smashing it when she gets frustrated but putting it down, again, ahimsa, nonviolence, even for a toy, yeah. and walking away. Another letter, thank you for teaching us to calm down when we're angry. I've learned that it's better to talk than to fight. It's really helpful to me because I get angry a lot, and it's helping me calm down. And that was from a young lady. Mm -hmm. So hearing that, you would think, again, a young man, and we need to remember you know, kids of all genders, it's giving them the coping skills. Mm -hmm. This one surprised me. I just, I present the way that I do and recognize as you listen to this, remember how young the kids are. Okay. Thank you so much for teaching us how to channel our anger and to make decisions out of love and peace. It helped me realize that it's okay to stop and take a deep breath, even when times are dire. Wow. So again, a fifth grader, not sure what's going on in their life at, or at home, but dire. That, mm -hmm. That's a pretty powerful word for a fifth grader. Yeah, and making decisions out of love and peace. And I, I didn't use yeah. those words. I talked about responding rather than reacting. 
And then this, the last one was, thank you for helping us to calm down. I have, he said clam, but that's okay. I have calmed down so much. I don't even fight that much with my brother anymore. Oh. So both in corrections, I think yoga asana, definitely yoga nidra, it's that ability to take the things out of the suitcase, realize who you are when you're speaking, when you're acting, when you're in community with people. And that's my hope, I would say probably, even yeah, even with the horses and definitely in corrections, it was always about trying to help people be more peaceful, finding yeah. that pathway to peace. I love that. Those are, I almost feel like the ones from the kids are the most powerful testimonials of all because if they can stick with this and remember to return to it again and again, then they become more capable and adaptable yes. adults. And we all have these issues. I don't think there's any of us who've never lost our tempers, but it's chronic in some families. And then this is a way, this is a way out for them to, you know, Absolutely. stop the cycle and make independent decisions for themselves as they grow up. That's a huge gift, Jill. Huge. You and I have never had a discussion about race. But I believe that part of the reason our mutual friend, Jose, Jose and I used to work together, actually. He's now re retired and I've moved on. But I think why he wanted us to meet so badly was that he recognized the need for yoga teachers of color to be connected, to support one another and to know that we're not alone. And over these last few months, especially, we've all witnessed the rise of awareness in the general population towards Black Lives Matter and the impacts of racism on communities and people of color. COVID-19 has impacted Black and Latino communities more than others, and even in the yoga community, there has been just as shocking of a realization that many yoga spaces were still, air quotes, white spaces, where people of other ethnicities weren't practicing or didn't always feel comfortable practicing, and in part because there were no or very few teachers with different cultural and ethnic backgrounds. And I taught for several years at the Raw Yoga Center here in Oak Park. Previously, it was in ESAC. And the focus there has always been on providing more diverse and body positive instruction. I'm, I'm a mixed race person, technically. I was born in Bermuda. My father was black and my mother was white, but they passed away when I was really young. And as a child, I grew up in primarily white spaces in Canada. And things are very different there. It's a... Uh, it's accepted to be mixed race and you're also black, whereas here it's more about in the United States, it's more about the one drop rule. So I've always had to kind of figure out for me personally how to fit in, whether I actually ever did or not in the spaces I was in. And I just wanted to ask if I can, what has your experience been with this and how have you navigated your identity together with your purpose and your path? Good question, especially <laughs> timely. And you, in, in transparency, you'd sent the notes before. This, this was the question where I felt I could probably talk the longest and learn more about myself, so I'll, I'll be concise. My background, I think, was a little similar to yours in that my dad was in the military, so my first language was actually German. Mine was Dutch. Okay. Wow. So at, at, I was two and a half and three years, two and a half, three, four. I think we came back when I was five and a half. On top of that, my mom and dad were raised in the South. Uh, my dad, and he and I talked quite a bit when when uh, he was living, he became an officer during a time that it, it was not easy mm -hmm. um, as a person of color, as a black man. 
my mom went to an all-girls finishing school, which took a lot for her family to get her there. So they, they came from that experience of both poverty, being of color in the 19... They were both born in the 1930s. And I'll say, however, for lack of a better word, the way that I was raised was really helpful for me. I, I kind of hesitate to use the word privilege at all right now because it's mm -hmm. such a fiery word. But I will say that being raised in the military, being raised by my parents the way that they were, there, there was a different experience, I would say. For example, I remember coming home from school. My dad was a base commander. He was an officer before I was ever born. Mm -hmm. I didn't have an awareness of that. When we went to Germany, my dad was the base commander. To me, he was just dad. He went put on this beautiful uniform with all this shiny stuff, but all the men and women I saw on base had uniforms and shiny stuff. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of people at our house because that was the way my mom and dad were. If there was someone who didn't have anywhere to go, somebody who was having difficulty, they were going to be at our house anytime, especially on holidays. Nice. So back to the enlisted thing. I come home. He had to tell me the story. I don't remember it that vividly. I apparently said to him, Dad, what's an enlisted? And that piqued his interest. And he said his response was, who said that to you? So those of you who are listening, an enlisted person is a non-officer. So there's a difference in class, hierarchy. different in mm -hmm. hierarchy, different in assignment. And I don't, I, at the t again, now I don't, many years later, I don't remember and he said, he asked the why question. He said, why are you asking that? And apparently I said, hey, some kids told me that I am I shouldn't play with enlisted kids. And I didn't know what that meant. He did not go into, oh, well, I'm an officer and I'm the big. He said, you play with whoever you want to. He said, you go back and tell that person you will play and you're expected to play with whoever you want to. Then I believe he asked me the kid's name because I think he wanted to address it with the parents. <laughs> Probably. So, you know, I clearly knew my skin color was different, but I think the expectations of my mom and dad, my mom was a teacher and she taught, you know, in some disadvantaged areas. She taught on base. She taught. And her, her personality was she would take in any kid that needed help. Mm. Going into yoga studios, I was fortunate. I started here officially started in Sacramento um, for a couple classes and then befriended a studio op owner who opened the first Bikram studio here in Elk Grove. That was not, Elk Grove was not that diverse 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. Was this not a thought? Uh, the studio was always run in a very diverse manner that whoever wanted to come in, your size didn't matter, color didn't matter. Uh, the studio owner was always giving away free memberships underneath the table uh -huh. because people would say, you know, this is my last class. And she would say, what's going on? They would have a story about financial hardship. She's been known to go pick up people and get them to yoga. So I probably actually in corrections, and it was from offenders, was some of the more in my face, who are you, what do you look like, uh, the black offenders. And I was in college at the time because I went on a, an internship they would say things like, you're not black enough. Your hair isn't right, and you don't walk black, and you don't talk black. And to them, because I had never been in a prison before, I asked the, I said, what, what does all that mean? What are you talking about? Well, you just, we don't, we don't know anybody like you. 
And I actually think, Megan, more than my skin color or my hair texture, the way I carried myself, it was my quietness. Mm. Because even when I was afraid, I was afraid inside, but they never knew that. When they were doing something inappropriate, it was still my job as a volunteer and intern to address it in a way. I did not scream and yell. I didn't curse. They might walk by and say something inappropriate, and I would let the wheels turn, and I would watch the body language. So I didn't immediately scream and yell or tell a staff, oh, look, this is what they said to me. Then I would go over, and they would say, okay, you're going to talk me to death, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah. No, <laughs> just send me to lockup. I said, no, talk to me about what was going on. It's harder. Because I wanted to unravel the suitcase of why did you victimize me? And very often they say, well, I had, a, you know, I had a fight at school or somebody took something out of my locker or that staff made me mad. I said, oh, so this is like the stuff rolling downhill. You're going to come over and, and actually victimize or attempt to victimize me based on whatever you feel like pulling out of a hat. Oh, you're not black enough or you're just a college girl or, you know, your, your earrings look funny today. So that issue came up, and for a while, many of the black offenders would not have anything to do with me. Part of that, I think, also as a volunteer, I was looked at as a staff member. Mm. And then I just kept hanging in there and staying long enough that it wasn't an issue. Very much more often, the fact that I was a woman, working with sex offenders, for example, working with you know men, especially young men with hormones and committing serious offenses, often against women. That was more of the issue. Again, my stick to itness of you've done something horrific, but I wanted to be of service to them. I wanted to be a listening so they would not go out and act out on someone else. Right. So then I would get the, well, you're not like most staff and you're not like most girls I know and you're not like most black people. And, <laughs> and I just turned that into, especially the offenders, regardless of race, that objectified or victimized their victims because of race or assumption. Mm -hmm. I made them understand they could have victimized me simply based on looks. And their response was always, well, I, would, I, I wouldn't do that to you, Miss Weston. I said, but I'm a victim. I'm a person out on the street. You you wouldn't have known that. So I don't know if that's, if there's a flow there. There have been times in my life where, you know, clearly having the color of skin that I do, the hair tone, the features. A lot of times when I travel, it's kind of nice. People always think I'm from their country. So if I go to Thailand or Hawaii, here in Sacramento, I remember a parking lot attendant started speaking to me in, in Spanish and he was very, I can speak a tiny bit. He was very disappointed that I wasn't Cuban. He's like, no, I want you to be cute. I said, I'm sorry, I'm not. So sometimes it's very much a gift. Distinctly, though, what I want to address with this question is, you know, I really do want people who are excluded. They are knowingly excluded. It's very clear. Or there's a... a unconscious? Or yeah, sometimes it's unconscious yeah. on either side. Um, I just, I want people who are excluded, who are treated badly, treated differently, slighted, or if it's unconscious, I want them to have practices that support them, again, managing, addressing their trauma, their experiences, no matter, and I hope this isn't heard the wrong way, no matter what someone is doing to you in that instant, can you still go inside and find yourself? So as you were being called names, 
that in some way maybe don't have to do with you. So it has to do with that person's experience. And again, you're being victimized. Can you find a way, not so much to be peaceful necessarily, but to be balanced, to respond even in a way that keeps yourself safe at that moment? In differing moments, maybe it teaches the other person something that we can undo and make sense of and repair some of the harm. Right. Just to be shown a place of peace and insight, regardless of what you look like, your ancestry, how much you weigh or don't weigh, you know, even your mental state, how much you have in your pocketbook. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So again, I, I am of color. I've been able to navigate differently, I think, because for part of the time we didn't live in the United States. Coming to California, I think, was a little easier. Uh, Wilton and Elk Grove was not that diverse when I first came. Again, it was very curious for me. Most of the kids not even really teased me. They were just more concerned that I hadn't. They were like, why haven't you been in Miss Morgan's first grade? Like, where were you in first grade? Why were you in Germany? Like, <laughs> why haven't you been here your whole life? Um, and there were, you know, there were pieces of racism, certainly. I like to think that with my nature and my energy, and I address it, you know, full on these days, again, being in my brown skin is is more curious um, when I feel that something is there, even with a mask on, I look people in the eye and I will smile. I will give them the opportunity to either prove me wrong or give them the opportunity to say, I know what you're doing and I am a person and I'm going to smile at you and I'm not going to make this super comfortable, but not in a, an aggressive way. Um, yeah. I understand for some people why they protest and what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. My nature is much more come on over here and sit down next to me. No, we're not going to do this with an audience. You're not going to turn on your video camera. Mm. And very often, again, I'm unpacking their suitcase of their beliefs that are being taken out on me, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And that's the, I think, part of the reason, well, it's not I think, it is part of the reason why I wanted to do this because I wanted to be able to have these conversations with people and for people to be listening closely in their ears like they're sitting in this room with us and being like, what are the conversations that I can have that are uncomfortable, whether they teach yoga or not, because it's unavoidable that these conversations are going to continue to come up as we evolve. And as difficult as it is, I have hope through work like this. And, and, and also I know I'm, I have so much to talk about and it's not my podcast, but um, it's good. (laughs) for people who are listening to know that that was just my experience and what worked for me. I think everybody has a lane. Everybody has a path in communication, in conversation, in social justice, even in yoga. So I think as you do these podcasts, again, the hope is that people can pick up, pick up some tips, pick up some different ways, some practices and see what might work for them in what I call their life assignment is, what their path is in navigating the world. Yeah. So again, this is just, this was, has been so far just my experience. Exactly. No, something I wanted to mention is a book by a woman called Dr. Gail Parker, and it's restorative yoga for race-based trauma. And it's like on the bestseller list now at Amazon and in like my wildest dreams, I would get her to come on the show. But that's something I'm going to be digging into. And just in terms of the way that I teach and what what I can offer to people going forward to and hopefully be able to bring some of that onto 
the show. And I want to switch gears a little bit because I definitely want to give people a chance to experience something similar, like a, a version of yoga. Nidra, I don't know if you'd indulge us in a, a few moments, especially since what we just talked about likely got some heart rates up and <laughs> maybe people thinking about uncomfortable things. So this might be the perfect opportunity to kind of sit back and, and see what it is that Absolutely. Yoga Nidra brings. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'll lead you through all of maybe two, three minutes of a practice. The idea, again, is to observe what it feels like to be still in your body, physically still, if that's possible. If not, move around to slow your mind down and see what's really in there. So there's distractions. Whoever's listening, wherever you're listening, you might have air conditioner noise. You might be driving. You might be at work. And I should advocate if you're driving don't do this because I'm going to have you relax (laughs) but the idea is what if all those distractions what if all those noises what if all your experiences were not right there in your face and if you could go within what we call pratahara or sense withdrawal what would be there that would support you and comfort you so just about a just a very quick three-minute practice Um, this is not yoga nidra but it will give you some of that sense and anything that doesn't feel comfortable for you, don't don't worry about doing. Just to be clear, too, yoga nidra is you're laying prone. Yes, your eyes are closed, and you go. Yeah. It takes you into two different brainwave states, which I don't want people to do while they're driving. Right. And even if you're really good, you can't get into that brainwave state in three minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this will just give you some sense of a little calm in your body. Okay. So starting out, just get into a comfortable position. It can be a seated position. Just settle in and take a moment and listen to all the sounds around you. Might be a dog barking or air conditioner. And then imagine bringing your attention closer to your body and closer to my breath, closer to your breath and closer to my voice. When you're ready, you can take an inhale into the nose. And exhale and relax your shoulders down if that's accessible. And then guide your attention to your right hand. Your eyes closed. Notice your right hand. Notice your right wrist. The elbow and your right shoulder. And imagine you can completely relax down your right arm, letting your right arm be heavy. With all of your attention on my voice, take your attention to your left hand. Be curious with your eyes closed. Notice your left hand. Notice your left wrist, the left elbow, and all the way to your left shoulder. And imagine your left arm becoming heavy, becoming loose, just letting go. With so much awareness, take your attention across your shoulders. And imagine looking a little deeper. Can you get into the muscles, the nerve endings, and notice? And let go of any tension holding or control. What might it feel like for the shoulders to completely, completely surrender? And you can take your attention to the very center of your chest. See if you can notice your heartbeat. 
just be in observance, not changing anything. And notice any observations about your heartbeat, the area around your heart, the area around your chest. When you're ready, you can start to move your fingers, move your toes. Gently opening your eyes if your eyes were closed. And to come back, it may feel good to take a more full or a deeper breath, however that is for you relative to what's deep or more full. And then even as you listen, as Megan and I continue the conversation, just notice how that felt in your body. Notice any shifts in your thinking. I totally get why they call you the stress whisperer. <laughs> no. I mean, I've known that just from being in contact with you and speaking with you before. You just bring that with you. But even just that short little exercise was pretty powerful. Like I was aware of my, right before you said, be aware of your heartbeat, it was like, gung, gung, mm-hmm. gung. It automatically, for me anyway, it, it focused me into my heart center. Nice. And I actually imagined that I was driving, like in a stressful situation, but was like calm. Wow. Thank you for that. You're welcome. You're and welcome. so yoga nidra, I know that is your main, your main offering, your main service. And you have an upcoming teacher training Coming up in November, right? Which is just a month and a half or so from now. It seems so close. A hundred days till Christmas yes. today. But tell us about that. Sure, sure. It's interesting to um, yoga nidra is known. It's sometimes called a timeless practice, or people will <laughs> it, they say it lovingly. Um, it's about a forty-five minute process. And especially when we were in person, they would get done. They would sit up off the floor. They would look at me with kind of lids half open, eyelids half open, and they would say, I think you cheated me at like, what time? That that was only 10 minutes. So especially during this time where for some people time seems to drag on, other times we're busy, we're thinking we're going to get all this, all these tasks taken care of, all these projects with our quote free time <laughs> for people who are maybe working from home and you know, maybe you enjoy the people you live with. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have three kids Zooming and you and your partner are Zooming. Time can also feel really long these days. So it's another reason, you know, hopefully people will keep listening to your podcast, finding practices where you can mind your mind and mind your body. Yeah. Part of the reason, too, that's why I decided to offer the online training. I've not done online trainings. I've done uh, some extended classes. I did an immersion class last month where we did practices in the evening, had discussion, and then for four hours the next day. So it went well. But I am offering a yoga nidra teacher training in November. The certification is through the California College of Ayurveda where I was trained that that place I went to that I didn't know where I was going or how I ended up there. And it will be two three-day weekends it's fairly rigorous in the information that's shared, the history, the mythology. A lot of the training is receiving yoga nidra from me. I'm going to say almost every day. In a regular course, we would do it every day. And then you also do teachbacks. So you don't just hear from me. You are actively giving and receiving yoga nidra. So there's some days where you will receive three yoga nidra sessions. 
and it's cumulative and the word transformation is is thrown out there a lot. It's a very transformative process regardless of who hosts the teacher training. It's just it's in the yoga nidra. Yes. So that's available and I can leave my contact information that will be online. It's primarily the times are primarily geared for people on the west coast. I had some interest from east coast and also internationally. I don't think it's going to work for me to get up at two in the morning. So if people are curious, it is all online. Okay. Um, even if things change, I will still leave it online. And then I give a lot of support to teachers afterwards. Okay. So when we can meet up again, uh, if people are close by, I, I give a lot of support afterwards. Okay. I may, I may have to sign up for this teacher training. I'm very excited. Um, and I have another yoga you. nidra immersion. If people want to see what it feels like to uh -huh. do a class uh, talk about it, have some overnight digestion time with it, okay. and then do a couple hours the next day. So should people go to your website to find Our out website is probably easiest. Okay. Um, also, if for people who are still on Facebook or willing to go on Facebook, <laughs> um, that's been my platform for a long time, and the, the events are actually on the Facebook page on as there. well. So it's Breathing Space. On, is it Breathing Space Correct. on Facebook? Breathing okay. Space in Elk Grove, not the one in Canada. Ah, okay. Canada. And then your regular website is? Is ourbreathingspace.com. Okay, wonderful. Okay, thank you. I have one last thing I wanted to ask you about, and it can be kind of random, but I just want to hear about three things that have made a profound impact on your life and why they could be books, people, events, experiences. And I know we've talked about a lot today, but I know that you've lived a really and continue to live a really full and rich life. So if there's any kind of, I guess it's more resources I'm thinking for people who are listening, if there's something that's affected you that you think could be helpful to other listeners. I would say um, I had a list of some just kind of strange and different things. Like I, I love to drive fast, so I put my car on the racetrack um, several different times, and that actually popped up in the memories today. With the car on the racetrack and driving on a racetrack, I think it's that need to do something, you know, completely out of my comfort zone and also something that's legal, um, <laughs> trusting what was going on. But as far as resources, I'm going to mention Yoga Nidra first and foremost because it's for me it's a very easy, accessible practice, especially right now online, there's there's a lot of teachers, a lot of offerings, a lot of them are free. I only charge $10. So I would say definitely Yoga Nidra. Another resource I use is I have a circle of friends that I don't have to filter anything with. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a big complainer. I usually roll with everything, but there are days where you know, like it hasn't been the most comfortable to not walk outside of the house lately because of the fires in our area. I love to be outside. There are friends that I could get on the phone and say, you know what, I'm not feeling right because I can't walk outside today. What's significant and what I recommend to people with or your listeners is have people who will both support, confront, and hold you accountable. So I have friends that if I called every day, and said, oh, I feel bad because I can't go outside, they would say Jill Weston, and that's all they would need to say. So they're going <laughs> to give me a little space to be a normal human being and also know that that's not the worst thing in the world, for example, but they're also going to hear me. So for me, it's really valuable to have friends that you don't have to tell them your whole suitcase story. You can just say, here's what's going on with me, and they get it. So that would be one. 
The other thing um, I was going to mention, I traveled to Tonga and Indonesia probably 35 and 30 years ago, respectively, and that changed a lot of things for me of going to another culture and seeing the graciousness and the sweetness of people. Even now when I travel, sometimes I doubt that, can I fit in, can I manage? And there's always more than one person who was just helpful. So I would say maybe virtually travel right now, um, make plans to travel when you can, get out of your own box or what you're used to and expose yourself to the graciousness of people and, and know that people will help you. You know, there are helpful people out there. Oh, I love that. I do. I love that. And what what's coming up for me now when you said kind of get out of your box or your bubble and everything we've talked about today, including the, the race stuff, is like all about a lot of how I feel personally is about getting rid of those boxes. Like here, it was a culture shock moving to the U.S. because you have to tick that off on every form, whereas in Canada that doesn't exist. And so it's you know, I got over it now, but at the same time, it is that constant reminder of trying to fit people in, right? And all your, even in prison and in the military and talking about hierarchy and all these things just separate us from one another and kind of help to create the division that, you know, sometimes takes over our lives. So it's been really refreshing to talk with somebody else who's, who sees that and that your life's work, I feel like, it's just finding the one big box that we can all fit into and, and not keep worrying about separation and and difference while acknowledging, of course, it's still there. But, you know, there's a lot of things we can do to help ourselves and help other people. You are a, a living, breathing example of, of service and kindness. And I couldn't be more excited that you were the first guest on Maya. So thank you. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed being here on Maya and spending time with you. Uh, I guess unless there's anything else you want to bring forward today, I can just end with or head towards our end with a huge thank you to Jill Weston from Breathing Space here in Elk Grove for coming on the show today and sharing her incredible wisdom, compassion, and love with all of us. If you have questions for her, please send them on into myyogaaudio at gmail.com and we'll see if we can't keep this conversation going. Maybe we'll have a Q&A on the blog or a follow-up answer from her in the next episode. As I've mentioned to everybody prior to this in the first two episodes, while this podcast primarily focuses on your yoga practice, my yoga audio, I do want it to be a community. I want people to feel like they are part of something and that we can keep connecting and having conversations. So I want you to ask the questions, give the feedback and let us know how can we better address your needs? What are the things you'd like to see? And what are the questions that the burning questions you have that we can help address in future episodes? So for now... We've come again to us so long until next time. And in the next three episodes, I'll be dipping your toes into the actual practice of yoga, the physical practice, starting with foundational and basic postures and eventually building up to a bit of a flow. But in the meantime, please continue whenever and wherever you can to listen closely and expand exponentially. It's always a good time for your mind to be on the mat.